on our walls to soundproof us. Got books. We could spread the books around. <laughs> Make those little padded canvases people always hang up. Trying a new beer today. Pumpkin ale. Yeah. Pumpkin. Not pumpkin. 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 For those listening. I've got smiles a easy and the space just going to the moon on my IPA. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom, and I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the badass bitch who browses in bookstores, Kristen Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> you also browse in bookstores. I also browse in bookstores. Brett Bloom browsing in bookstores. Fuck right. you, Jerry Seinfeld, and your comedians in cars getting coffee. Brett Bloom browsing bookstores. Moment of truth. Interesting. <laughs> sure, why not? It's like on the front end just tastes like kind of like an Oktoberfest, and on the back end you get all the pumpkin and spice. Hmm. Interesting. That might be better in a glass. It might air out a bit more. Yeah, maybe I should get a glass. Go for it. Hold that thought. All right. Badass bitch browsing the bookstore. Getting a beer glass. Beer. I need a B word for glass instead of a bottle. Beer. Uh, it's not coming to me. It's gone. And we've got two wildly different movies to talk about today. Sticking with theme, because the podcast I edited today that will be going out right after this recording was about 1995's Mortal Kombat! And in the interim, over at our fantastic Walmart with the ever-changing DVD supply, I found 2021's Mortal Kombat! And we also have Rain Man. Vastly <laughs> So I don't know if we're going to get to Rain Man. We might just do a whole second episode on Mortal Kombat because we also got the Mortal Kombat 10 video game. We've been playing that motherfucker. So let's just kind of see where we go. So what do you think of the, the, the like a comparison piece? Because I've got a couple of notes here between the 1995 and the 2021. Um, that seems a little unfair because when I watched the other one, when it came out, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, this many years removed, the CGI sucks. CGI was not good. So, um, the... In the original. Yeah. The latest one looks a lot better. Um, yeah. The violence looks a lot neater. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not really a kid's movie where the original was a bit more geared yeah. towards kids. Um, well, that was one of the first things that I kind of wanted to get into with it is it was allowed the rated R this time around. They tried to do it PG-13 in 95, which never made sense to me because it's not... I mean, what you love about Mortal Kombat is the pulling the spine out and sticking it in somebody's eye. Like, you're not there for the story. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I don't know, though. Sub-Zero freezes the bullet, you know, in the air, and then it freezes the gun over. Like, that was solid. I felt like there was a core group of characters that Mortal Kombat. Yeah, that's Jax just obnoxiously eating. <laughs> Eventually he'll be out of food and he'll stop. Um, but I felt like Mortal Kombat always had, I mean, there were a lot of characters, but they had like their core characters that they like really developed their story and stuff. So I do feel like to some extent there were like a couple of characters you kind of cared about. And then a couple yeah. of characters were like, I don't really care that that dude died. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it is definitely more like fun just figuring out the fatalities and all the violence and then mm-hmm. seeing it on screen was kind of like, ah, oh, that was neat. <laughs> um, I thought the acting fucking got kicked up a notch. Like I actually, there were certain points in the film. And Kano was hilarious. Kano was goddamn funny as shit. There were definite moments in the film, um, especially regarding like Jax and Scorpion's like origin scenes where we see, Scor- uh, spoiler alert, we see Scorpion's family get taken out and he has like this traumatic reaction to it that was very believable, made him very real. In the 95, we didn't get hardly any origin, if any Keep talking. origin Sorry. at all. Keep talking. I'll be right back. Okay. Um, what are you doing? Okay. Oh, out of breath. Chasing two cats. <laughs> it, it, it appeared that one of our cats might have tried to go piss on our bed, so we had to yeah. fix that immediately. Max is a shifty motherfucker, <laughs> and he, he gives himself away every time. Sorry, I'm out of breath. I just literally chase both cats out of the bath, <laughs> or bedroom. He gives himself away every time, though. He, like, 
comes up to the litter box, climbs in the litter box, sniffs around the litter box, paws at the litter box, and then goes to the bedroom. And I'm like, I know what you're up to. <laughs> it's like, I'm on this motherfucker. I'm not staying up till 11 o'clock no. washing bed sheets. Today. No, I'm not. <laughs> so sorry about that interruption. I had to go oh. close the animals out of the bedroom. You're good. Um, but yeah, I liked the that we got to see glimpses of the origin story. It was like, I had notes on the original where it was like, I, I need to see some sort of an emotional depth, even if this is just, I'm here for fatality, you know, um, seeing a little bit of why they're here. Like, so we understand in this movie, um, the rivalry between Scorpion and Sub-Zero, and it has a very real starting point mm-hmm. back 3,000 years ago or whatever era. Or more. Put it, in. <laughs> it was like the 1600s. Yeah, that's not quite 3,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we, we get this glimpse as to why Scorpion has this vehement fucking hatred of Sub-Zero and vice versa. Yeah. And then Jax, we get more of a relationship with Sonya. We get the heartbreaking moment where Sub-Zero freezes his fucking arms off. And then that's how we get the arms. We see him develop the arms throughout mm-hmm. the course of the movie is almost a way of tracking time. It was an interesting change up though, which we only... I watched the first one. I had seen, I know for sure the second one. I think there's like a third one too. And I yeah, feel like one I of them saw, is called Annihilation. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I saw that as a kid. And like, it's an interesting change up because I feel like originally Mortal Kombat was very heavily reliant on Liu Kang's character. Mm-hmm. And he's not, I mean, he's definitely in this movie quite a bit, but I don't feel like he's quite as prominent as yeah. like the character you're following in this newer one. Um, and he was definitely in the first movie, like, the driving factor. Like, mm-hmm. he's the one whose brother died at the end. Like, he's the only one you kind of get any closure with. And then... Um, that was a major complaint in a lot of the reviews that I read, that they just completely upended it by giving us a protagonist that hasn't been in any of the games. He's a brand new character. They were like, yeah, you could have introduced a new guy. And, you know, we're proud that we have a strong, you know, Asian lead. But, you know... Is he not an existing character for no, some reason? No. They made oh. him up for this. Oh, for some reason, I thought he was an existing character. His name sounded familiar. Um, but yeah, that is a weird choice because, I mean, that's always been my complaint with. Um, sorry, excuse me, got burps. <laughs> um, video games where it's based on a popular series and then they throw you in the video game and you're just some like third, dude. yeah, third party character that has nothing to do with the storyline. I'm like, no, I want to follow the leads. <laughs> Did you uh, ever play Enter the Matrix? It came out, I think, on like the PlayStation 2. I had a glitchy version, so I could only ever make it so far in the game, and then it would freeze and start from the beginning again. But I played because it was fun. You could like go into bullet time and like do the upside-down spins. Graphics did not hold up. <laughs> um, but the, you don't play as uh, Neo. Like You play as um, Ghost, like one of the side characters. And, Weird. Yeah, like, so you're not seeing the direct events of the movie. You're kind of playing on the outside. It did air out a bit in the glass. Mm-hmm. It's much better. That's much better. God damn. That's <laughs> you pretty want tasty. <laughs> no, I'm all right. I've got enough beer to kill myself. <laughs> uh, but, like, you played the side character, so, like, you would see um, the effects of what, like, rippled out from the events of the movie, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, the Godfather video game, where you were a side character, but, like, you dropped Michael off for the restaurant hit, and then they showed the restaurant hit. Or, you know, you were the dude who put the horse's head in the bed in the movie, so it followed the plot line of the film. I still feel like it's not as much fun being a random side character, yeah. though. Um, also interesting, and the video game we're playing right now seems to support that. Like, I remember, I think it's the second Mortal Kombat, we yeah. kind of flesh out some of the other characters, like the we're original ones. 10. Oh, no, no, not the video game, the um, second movie they did way back when. Because um, you do get Jax and Sonya together a bit more, because um, you only see Jax in passing in this, the first movie. Mm-hmm. And then, I think, if I'm remembering right, they flesh out Sonya and Johnny Cage's relationship a little bit. And then I remember, I don't know if it's in the second movie or not, but um, Sub-Zero's character being the good guy. So it's an interesting shift to have mm-hmm. Sub-Zero be the bad guy in the new movie, because even the video game kind of indicates he was at one point on the side of the good, and they were like... Yeah. Because they make that comment. Yeah, they make that comment at the beginning of the game. He's like, you know, I miss when you fought on our side, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, when we were doing the 
tower runs just to see if we could beat the yeah. towers. Like Sub-Zero's like little story at the end of the tower was like he does good and he like protects Earth. And I feel like Scorpion's story wasn't... I think he like took advantage of the power. I can't remember. Yeah, I can never remember because I know Scorpion was the badass who would like throw the demon skulls but at you. So he's definitely guy, yeah. And so it's an odd choice in the new movie to flip that and have Scorpion be the good guy and Sub Zero be the bad guy. Yeah, I mean I'm sure that they did that intentionally. If these guys have been fighting for millennia, Scorpion finally was like, I just want to put down my fucking weapons and raise my family, and then he shows up and slaughters his family to bring him back into the war. Which, speaking of which, how badass was that fucking opening fight sequence when he doesn't have it's not coming out of his hand. Mm. It's just an old Japanese guy hanging out in the woods with his family, and he picks up that fucking gardening tool and just jacks everybody up in the woods. <laughs> I'm curious now if the old video game, I have no idea which version I owned. I'll have to like try to Google it, but I know I own like an older one that was like very much like 2D. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely wasn't the first one or anything like that because it still looked pretty good. It just wasn't three-dimensional. Um, but the, the one that I owned, I can't remember if it came out of his hand or not, but the one we're playing right now, it's a chain also. Yeah. So I'm like, was it always a chain? Because yeah. I remember... And I don't know if I'm just remembering based on the movie. I remember it coming out of his hand. Mm-hmm. Get over here. <laughs> and, like, it's it's a smarter move to have it be a chain, for sure. Because it's less cheesy. It's a bit more realistic. He's you a ninja. You don't get that weird, like, scorpion head that came yeah. out of... Or the so snake head that came out of his hand in the original. Yeah. And it makes no sense for his name to be Scorpion. But then his attack thingy is this long, weird snake. <laughs> <laughs> but and I guess looking at the other side, because I do want to do a lot of praise for the practical effects. Uh, The CGI in this one got kicked up like Marvel level, which is what we were talking about on the last podcast. What would happen if we had a Marvel level fucking, you know, Mortal Kombat game? And like the, when he does fuck jacks up and you get the little fractals that are all over his arm Mm -hmm. like it's built up ice it looks like frostbite and it gets shattered or when he stops the bullet from coming through or even is was it reptile in this one i think all three of them were in it yeah but one of the monster guys um i was like oh well here's where we're gonna shit the bed we're gonna have our goro moment where it's like what the fuck am i even looking at right now Mm -hmm. but they did the move that we talk about all the time um the jaws effect Show it briefly. Let it run by the screen. That made it so much more believable. Mm-hmm. As a matter this of fact... Reptile the, can blend into his background. Yeah. The only thing that I had a real problem with CGI-wise, um, there was one that I can't remember right now, is Raiden's eyes. Yeah. It's like if we're having this realistic thing, I don't need glowy eyes. Maybe do glowy eyes once at the very end when Raiden's like fucking shit up. You yeah. know? Yeah, you did when they showed, because they do very briefly show Reptile, like, fully. You were kind of like, ah, no, but then, like, he, yeah, (laughs) like, goes back away again. And even um, Prince Goro, I mean, even looked looked better. better. I mean, you can still, like, tell it's CGI, but he looked a lot better than he did in the original movie. He looked way less like a giant cockroach in this. (laughs) His death was pretty crazy. Psycho. I I like that he's the big bad fighter, um... Even in the game, or the game that I owned anyway, um, the one we're playing right now, like, you always end on the same bad guy, but, Mm -hmm. like, the fight, or we've only done, like, the ten-person tower, we haven't done the bigger ones yet, but um, you always end up fighting the same bad guy, I can't remember, is it Chinook, is that his name? I think so, Um, But the fighters getting up to him are different, and I remember in the old video game that I had... All the fighters up to the last two were, like, kind of randomized, and Mm -hmm. you would always have to fight Prince Goro, and then whoever the big bad guy was, like Shao Kahn, or I don't... Whatever his name was. Um, And so it's interesting that the movie was like, here's the big bad, most intimidating warrior. Immediately kill him off. (laughs) (laughs) Just fuck him up. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, like, out of breath. Well, you're okay. Take a deep one. Take another sip of that nice, <laughs> nice pumpkin beer. And saw the the doctor this weekend, and it's it's been a struggle. <laughs> Kristen's working on seventy percent lung capacity. <laughs> <laughs> um, How are you enjoying the video game? 
I, I like it. I, I like it a lot more than I thought I was going to like it. Like, we got it after we watched the 2021. Oh, you weren't excited about it? <laughs> I mean, I was excited about it, but, like, I don't play a lot of those type of games. Like, I don't play a lot of games in general. But You play the shooter I to, games? I tend to play a shooter or, you know, like a Grand Theft Auto, like, open world type thing. Always modern times type shit. I don't play a lot of these types of games. Like, I played... Well, to be fair, it seems to be set modern-ish there's just a lot of fantasy creatures (laughs) like i played i really enjoyed i think it's injustice was the one that had like all the dc people so like you play as batman and fuck up the joker that was pretty cool like i enjoyed those ones but i don't play a lot of these fighter games and um like i played the ufc shit but that's different um but playing this one like i'm older now so like i have a better understanding of like these combo things that i never got a grasp of when i was a kid i was like why am i getting fucked up all right i guess i'll just mash all these buttons and see if something cool happens but i, I find they made the combos a little bit easier than they yeah. used to be too they used to be so hard like that little <laughs> finishing move is so much easier yeah like I'm, I'm, I'm yeah i like the the x-ray moves those are pretty cool um but i find myself trying to learn the combinations you know and actually like lay out a plan like i can go you know jab straight you know kick to the face kick to the body you know jump over the top of them throw them in a car fucking drown them in the little pool thing (laughs) you know so i'm trying to come up with a plan um however as Kristen has noticed i am terrible at this goddamn game i don't (laughs) you've won quite a few you win all of them i I get to i get first try where i go god damn it they're so fast and then i get my ass kicked and then i hand it to Kristen, and she wins the fight you've won quite a few i think i've won a few which is three there's been no you've won more than that and there's been ones where you did it, and then I did it, and I lost two, and then you did it again, and you won. It was so like I think we it's, figured it out. Yeah, I think it's just kind of getting used to playing with each character. Yeah. I love that you can kill a motherfucker with another motherfucker. <laughs> we played last night, and there's this one... Um, I think it's an outworld. There's Yeah. There's this one map where there's an old lady just kind of walking back and forth, and if you time it right, you can grab her by the ankles and beat the other dude with her brain and then she dies but the funny thing to do is this is the one i'm just gonna name it interrupted by the pets you guys are driving me fucking crazy um lay down <laughs> it's like what did i do dad i'm the producer i'm managing the gear my favorite one is um if you block the lady getting thrown at you, she dies for no reason. And that we played that map, like, because we played this one dude, the big blue guy, the sun god. I can't remember his name. I remember. Um, Kotal Khan. Yeah. And you have to play that map, like, ten different times. And it was like every time we went to throw the lady, we got blocked. And then she would just be dead on the map, having died for nothing. <laughs> She's like, oh, I just wanted to hang out with my weird little fucking... Gryffindor looking thing, you know, you could jump on and piss him off, and it was well, cool. I like the, the, um, I mean, because once you get into the fight, it's still kind of like 2D ish. You mm-hmm. can only move left to right across this very small space. Um, but I like that the map itself is interactive because, like I said, yeah. the old work, um, game that I had that wasn't really a thing. Like, the most you could do is punch someone up through the floor, down yeah. through the floor, and then as a fatality, like. If it was, like, spikes in the background, you could throw them on the spikes for your absolute finishing move, and that Mm -hmm. was it. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of neat that if you're, like, paying attention, you can catch little, like, tree branches you can throw, or people you can throw, or you can smash their face into a pillar, and it's like, oh, like, come here. Like, come stand over here. (laughs) We found a couple of them by accident. I think we found the old lady by accident. So I was like, there's no way in hell they're just going to let me throw an old lady at (laughs) Sub-Zero. I'm sure as shit. <laughs> it's been I don't think I ever played the story mode. I think I don't even know mm-hmm. if the one I played had story mode. I think I've only ever really done the towers, so it's been kind of interesting like seeing the story mode and oh my god, like Johnny Cage is so salty with Sonya. <laughs> so salty. <laughs> Cuz like it's 20 years like we're having trouble with the timeline, but it bounces uh, around. It bounces lot. around quite a bit, but like Johnny Cage is like in his 40s or 50s or whatever. He's got a daughter with Sonya. And so, like, you can play as, uh, is it Cassie Blade? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and uh, Jax has a daughter, and she's in there kicking ass too. So like, it's generational. It's supposed to be like this pass on to like the new generation of fighters. And it shit. does bum me out a bit though, and I get wanting to introduce new characters and kind of make it relevant to the next group of people, but like. A lot of the main characters that I used to play as aren't currently an option. I don't know if we can unlock them, mm -hmm. but like, I'm like, oh, but like, I grew up with the other characters. Like, I want to play them. Yeah. So that's been kind of bumming me out a lot. I'm like, who the fuck is Tanya? I don't want to play Tanya as Tanya. Was in the second game. No. Tanya was. A, she's a classic character. <laughs> like, I want to play as Sindel. <laughs> What do you think of it, though, compared... Because you've got a lot more, like, video game knowledge than I do, especially with these types of things. It's better graphics, for sure, yeah. than the version I owned. Um, I do feel like... What about that little Valkyrie thing that just <clears throat> ripped Homeboy's head right off his fucking shoulders? That was pretty sick. In the cutscene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I don't know if those are, like, things we're ever going to fight. That's. I think that's kind of weird about games like this. It's like, there are... Um, really prominent characters that they obviously designed to be like the main good guys yeah. and the main bad guys. So even when we're, when we're in story mode, you're kind of passively interacting with whatever's happening in the cutscenes. And then when you go into the fights, you're only fighting the characters they created mm -hmm. for the game. Um, and that's a bit odd. Cause yeah, you kind of see like all these cool side monster thingies mm -hmm. and then you don't get to do anything with them where like open world games, like I, I don't play shooter games, but like Skyrim, like you can mm -hmm. fight like a bear, you can fight a dragon, you, you, you can fight imagine, the villagers. Yeah, God of War can suck a thousand dicks if they make an open world Mortal Kombat <laughs> where you just run around as scorpions, just jacking people. Yeah. To I think that, which I mean, I don't, I don't know if ten was the last one they came out with. I think there was an eleven also, um, but I think that would be an interesting approach, like having it a bit more. I don't know. I guess that's been my major complaint about Mortal Kombat is it's very structured. It's mm -hmm. almost like... And that's the other cat. Now everybody's <laughs> been on the microphone today. <laughs> it's almost like levels you have to beat and you can't go outside of the levels. And so it's a very structured video game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are you okay? You're so frustrated. I'm, I'm trying not to be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like it lacks creativity in that way and maybe just because it is such a violent game like they feel a need to kind of rein it in so that they can focus yeah. on the characters that they have created for the game um i but i i don't know i wish at some point they had moved past this concept of battling up the tower like i know it's mortal Kombat, and you have to win fights mm -hmm. to you know what would you prefer i don't know i think seeing it in an open world concept might be kind of neat where you can kind or, of yeah. Go interact with other characters. Go see a and... shopkeep and then be like, get over here! And just rip his fucking heart out. <laughs> and then like, you come back later and it's like Red Dead Redemption. His family's mourning his death. And you're like, oh no, I ripped out that guy's heart. Thank God we have this morality <laughs> well, I mean, bar. I mean, even if they don't have it where you can kill literally anyone and everyone. Like, mm -hmm. it'd just be neat to have a bit more freedom to walk around the world. Like, literally the way the story mode is working right now. Which we haven't played that far into it. So I don't know if maybe it'll like let up a bit. But it's divided into chapters. They introduce which character you're playing as at the beginning of the chapter. And then you just watch a cutscene and every once in a while they'll let you interact by like, press X now. Yeah. You know, it's not like real interacting. And so you get to watch a movie of the character walking around. And then you're brought into the same basic fight structure where it's a small screen that mm -hmm. you can't move past. And that's the only interaction you have. I wonder if they could do something at least on the level of like the UFC game where you can move around this circle you know cool. so you would get a bit more of that three-dimensional space that you'd be interacting in it'd be i mean that'd be cool too but it'd be nice just to be able to control the character walking through the scene instead of it being all movies in between these fights mm -hmm. like even if you can't fight the random villager if you can at least walk through the village until you get to whatever bad guy yeah. you're supposed to fight like that might make it a little less like formulaic i just feel like eventually it would be a game that would get boring to play because it's yeah. the same thing every time the only time <clears throat> that it doesn't like it where i know that can't happen is Kristen. i don't know if she was having an off day yesterday or what was going on uh, but we got to the chapter on sub-zero she missed that we were 
playing as Sub-Zero. Yeah, she rooted against me for a whole fight until I pieced together. She doesn't... She was like, well, you lost. Why is there this cutscene and they're throwing you into the night? Were you supposed to lose? And I was like, I'm playing as the blue guy. <laughs> yeah, I thought... Uh... Because they, well, they, it's confusing the way they started out, which again, lends my <laughs> point. So they start the cut scene showing you the good guys. Yeah. And the good guys are being sent on a mission to go get Sub-Zero. So you start out with this group of characters and you're like, oh, like we're following this group. Mm-hmm. And then Sub-Zero shows up and we're still seeing most of the cut scene from their point of view. Like Sub-Zero walks out and they're like, no, 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 don't engage. Yeah. And then you engage. And so like. I've invested all of these cutscenes watching the other groups. So I'm like, oh, we're Thinking playing. Thinking that we're playing as Cassie. Yeah, I was like, we're playing as the other group. And so he goes in as Sub-Zero fighting Cassie. And I thought he was going in as Cassie fighting Sub-Zero. <laughs> and then he kicks Cassie's ass. And then the next person jumps in. And I was like, oh, maybe that's the point. You're playing as all four characters. So you get to just keep trying. You're I don't the know. Alliance. <laughs> So yeah, like it's confusing when it's cutscenes and they don't follow the character you're playing as, yeah. and you're not walking around because then I'm like, who the fuck are we playing who as? Who are we? Why are we? Why are we committing so little fights? Like I, I can't wait for. I hope it breaks open at some point and like we get more of a story. Like this is our core group. We've got Sub Zero, Johnny Cage, and the rest of these like allies that we have. Let's switch out at a faster rate. I hope it's not. Here's your character. Win these four fights. And none of these stories are really tying together. Like, I hope that it kind of comes together and we're kind of in, like, a tutorial mode. I mean, to some extent, they've sort of pieced together, but it is still, like, basically, well, that's the end of this chapter, on to the next chapter. Because they, like, introduced the fact that Sonya and Johnny had a relationship, and then we jumped 20 years, and now they've got... A kid. (laughs) A 20-year-old daughter. I guess they fucked that night. Um... (laughs) And, like, then we're kind of following, like, because you end in the past with, like, oh, we've caught the bad guys in the amulet. Boom. 20 years in the future, there are now children and the amulet's just missing, apparently. (laughs) And so then it's like, oh, we got to figure out what's going on with the amulet. But we're, like, jumping around to different people. We're in a helicopter. We're on a horse. (laughs) We got the sun god. Yeah, which I like, I don't know who where is we that are. Dude? Like, was he a part of the original like story? I don't even know who that dude is. I don't speak on matters of video games. See, because that was another thing that confused me. We switched to Kotal Khan, and I was like, oh, is Kotal Khan the name of the place? Like, are we yeah. in Kotal Khan? And then I kept thinking the blue dude was Sub-Zero for some reason. Yeah, that confused the shit out of me. You're like, was Sub-Zero an emperor? And I was like, no, that's Kotal Khan. And then like minutes would go by and be like, why is Sub-Zero? I was like, no, that's Kotal Khan. And then you were like, oh, Kotal Khan. <laughs> the map and i was like no kotokan is the blue dude <laughs> well, no, no, no. no i said which threw me off completely because i think you didn't catch what i was saying so they were talking about needing to find sub-zero i think but then they also mentioned this emperor dude and so mm. i was just like well that's weird is sub-zero an emperor i'm confused <laughs> and then we go to see kotokan and like they just flash like his name across the middle of the screen and i was like are we going to Outworld? And then you said, no, we're going to Kotal Khan. And I think, <laughs> I think you thought, like, that was clear, like, oh, we're going to see a person. And to me, I was like, oh, so Kotal Khan's the name of the place. It's we're like going Kotal to Khan Afghanistan. It's like, we're going to Outworld. And then you're like, no, we're going to Kotal Khan. And I'm like, okay, so who's the blue dude? Sub-Zero's the only blue character I can think of. He's Kotal Khan. Like, when did Sub-Zero stop wearing clothes? <laughs> When did he become eight feet tall, slow as shit, and with one serious head kick? I don't know. That was lost. It's a, <laughs> it's a complex game, apparently, and I can't keep up. I'm like, I'll kill some shit. I'm confused about why, but I'll do it. I'll do it. God damn it. See, I'm but a good, yeah, I'm, I'm a good teammate. It. I go into battle even though I don't know why. <laughs> but no, I'm enjoying it. Um, do you want to hop into the second film? We can. So... I was Kotal, hesitant to watch it. In Kotal Khan, Iraq. <laughs> was born a man. No, I'm <laughs> um, The other film we watched last night. I've been trying to watch it for three weeks. Kristen finally folded because oh, I've agreed to watch a Robin Williams movie um, called okay. What Dreams May Come. It's a fantastic movie, though. I have we should watch also it been trying to watch that one for the past three weeks, but... She keeps she does this weird thing where she justifies it. I don't know what I'm talking about. You're a liar. We just added it to Netflix like two days ago. (laughs) Motherfucking Rain Man, nineteen eighty eight. 
I have mixed feelings about it, to be honest. I have. Me too. Like, I remember... One undeniable fact, Dustin Hoffman can act his fucking ass off. (laughs) Crushes, for sure. I I mean, I remember thinking initially it was well done, Mm. and it's, you know, like, one of those, like, iconic movies where you're like, yeah, that was a fantastic movie. It was on an AFI list. I can't remember which AFI list, but it was, like, number 63 in the top 100. Hmm. I don't care for the way... The situation is represented, though. Like, okay. I, I think it's kind of problematic. All right, go for it. <laughs> well, like, I, I don't love that. And I don't know, maybe it's just how abruptly it ends. Maybe if it ended yeah. differently. Which it... I, I was curious about, so I did some <clears throat> researching. And I was going to give you guys the whole lore, two-star t- two Tuesday style on Rain Man. But basically, it was in production when the 1988 writer's strike hit. And so they didn't really have anybody there to write an ending. It's like, (laughs) I'll see you in two weeks. Fade the black. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and maybe, because I feel like we waste a lot of time on the front end establishing things that we don't really need to see. Mm -hmm. And then we take a long time to kind of get to a point where Tom Cruise's character grows at all, and then it just kind of abruptly ends. Um, so maybe if the story had been restructured a bit, mm-hmm. it would have come across a bit better. But for me, um, Tom Cruise's character is just abhorrent. A huge chunk of the movie. He's yeah. awful. He's selfish. He's inconsiderate. He's aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, just only thinks about himself and kind of takes advantage of everyone around him, not just his brother. He got himself in debt via what I can only like think of as a scam. Like, I don't... And- I, I yeah. don't exactly understand what happened with the Ferraris, but like I know that he's at fault. So like he's he took out what an comes eighty thousand dollar loan somehow to get four loan. Ferraris. Yeah, bought these cars and was planning on flipping them for a profit. Mm-hmm. And he has a company which somehow makes that legal, but they couldn't pass emissions, mm-hmm. so he wasn't legally allowed to sell them because they weren't meeting regulations. And then. Um, the loan person comes back and collects the cars to yeah. cover the debt, which he then still owes for some reason. Um, but yeah, the backstory doesn't really make a lot of sense. And we waste a lot of time setting that up and kind of, I don't know. There's a lot of wasted time before we even meet mm-hmm. Rain Man's character uh, at all. Um, and then... A lot of mistreatment of a special needs person. A lot of just refusal to acknowledge that it's a real thing. Yeah. Um, like, we see characters in this small town being like, yeah, I don't know what that is. And, like, mm-hmm. he, um, Tom Cruise's character repeatedly, like, tells him he's making it up. And he knows that he knows better and all this stuff. And I don't feel like outside of the doctor running the facility, there's ever like an ally character for him. And for Raymond? We, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we don't see the doctor except for the very beginning when we first introduce Raymond. And the very end when we need to get him away from Charlie. Yeah. And even then he almost comes across like the doctor doesn't come across in the best light in that instance. Cause it's basically like, yeah, I'll kind of give in to these seedy things. I'll pay you off, whatever, just give them back. And like, I know there's good intentions behind it, but it doesn't really feel like he's truly advocating for the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't really feel like anyone ever is. Even, like, the girlfriend's like, stop doing that. You shouldn't. But then she's very inconsiderate about certain things, too. Like, very questionable to kiss a mentally disabled person who doesn't really understand, understand what on. you're doing yeah. to them. Um and, like, I I guess in her mind, she well, was like, that, oh, he's never kissed a girl. Like, this will be fun for him. But then it's probably also very confusing for someone who can't process those emotions the same way. It's a huge part of Forrest Gump. It's yeah. his relationship with Jenny. How consensual is it? Except Forrest was, you know, above a certain intelligence line, so he wasn't deemed and, mentally ill. He was just deemed low IQ. Yeah, and Forrest, And here we're dealing with an autistic person. Forrest at least pursued... Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. And in this, like, he does not show interest in this chick at all. And then she... Yeah. He like, walked the in dancing, on them having sex. He didn't really care about that. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't get it. 
And like the dancing in the elevator was cute and we should have left it at that. He got a chance to dance. He wanted to dance and mm -hmm. done. Like you don't need to like have this weird forced intimacy. And then speaking of dancing though, how cute is it? Tom Cruise and him dancing. It was really cute. Like him and his brother. Like I, I forgot all about that whole sequence. Um, I've got a couple of notes, but seeing that subtle change in Charlie, I think really starts and, you're right. It got front-loaded like a motherfucker, so the impact seems too sudden. Uh, the real change in Charlie happens, I think, during that dancing sequence. Well, it also, to me, um, which is probably, again, a huge part of it's the, the structure of the story is all wrong. Mm -hmm. So he is mean to his brother, to some extent physically abusive to his brother, like doesn't take his brother's needs into consideration all that seriously. Like we start to see subtle hints of it, like he buys him the TV mm -hmm. and stuff so he can watch his shows, but it feels a bit more like he's trying to avoid the outburst over trying to provide for yeah. his brother. And the only... You get the little things. Maple syrup needs to be on the table. So the next time they're in the diner, he goes to the place with like the IHOP or whatever, where he goes I'm right here. <laughs> but for me, none of that happens until after we go to the casino. He doesn't actually start legitimately trying to be nice to him until he's won him money. Yeah. So it's only after he gets what he wants from his brother that he starts being nicer to him. Mm -hmm. And like he does like reject the check from the doctor, but I feel like he rejects the check from the doctor because he asked for 1.5 million and the doctor offers him like. 25,000 or 250,000. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly what he offers him, but it's significantly less than what he wanted. And like, I get we're supposed to see like this change in this character, but I feel like if the doctor had come up to him and been like, here's a check for $1.5 million, give me your brother back, he'd be like, okay. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. And well, like, I, I don't feel like he starts <clears throat> doing nice things until after his brother has gotten him out of his situation that he put himself into. Yeah. Which I've, I've got compl complex feelings on it as well. I mean, we're dealing with a very touchy subject. A, a lot of the articles that I read from 88, like you can Google this movie and that's pretty cool as you can like read New York Times article reviews from when this fucking thing came out. And there are two camps when it comes to the way that Raymond is presented as this autistic savant. Um, what they said is it blew the doors open for mainstream America to finally understand what autism was. In 88, there wasn't a huge grasp of this illness. Um, and number two, it damaged the autism movement because now people assume that every autistic person is an autistic savant. Mm -hmm. uh, Raymond was based on one very particular guy. I wish I could remember his name. I thought I wrote it down but he had a lot of the same things with like math and he would read books uh with like the left page with his left eye right page with his right eye and then put them upside down on his bookshelf so that he could remember that he'd read it and then they would hold the book up and he'd be able to tell you the whole plot line and like very in interesting um like scientific facts and scientific research things mm -hmm. or shit like that so it blew the fucking doors wide open in a lot of ways and then made a lot of irresponsible decisions. Yeah. So I'm torn as to Charlie's relationship with Raymond in that light. Like, I'm not trying to judge it for being ignorant in 1988 ignorance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, maybe in 88, if America at large did not understand autism, and we're just now starting to understand it a summer ago... There were ignorant motherfuckers who thought vaccines were causing it. So, like, Still people. And you've that. yeah, and you've worked in a hospital setting where you've dealt with autistic yeah. people face and, to face. And I think for me, that's part of what changes this movie for me too. The first time I saw it, I was definitely like a teenager or something, mm -hmm. and I had never worked. Um, I don't really have uh, that I know of anyway. Um, family members that have any specific disorders or anything like that. Um, I think like cancer is about the only thing that runs yeah. in my family. Um, so prior to working in a hospital, I hadn't really spent time around like people with any kind of mm -hmm. disorders on that level, like autism or Down syndrome or anything like that. I hadn't spent any extensive time around and, um, you know, I worked in a hospital directly working with, uh, what was 
and on the spectrum. Not, it's well, it's not meant to be an insensitive term. It's just a classification for the kind of care they need. But I, I, I worked with patients that were dubbed high risk, and that mm-hmm. covered a lot of things. It covered suicidal patients, patients with mental disorders, um, patients who had been recently injured and just were not mm-hmm. safe to be left alone. Dementia patients um, who dementia just patients, get up and walk yeah. around. So it covered a wide range of things but specifically the concept was god patients. bless you for that by the way you know <laughs> the concept was patients who needed extra care and mm-hmm. really just were not safe to be left alone um so i did work with autistic patients for almost a decade pretty closely and um i think there are elements to dustin hoffman's performance for sure that do nail it i mean his performance was definitely phenomenal i I think obviously each case is very different would you Um, say that the closest and he nails it throughout you know in the way that he presents himself the way he kind of coils up and rocks and repeats statements to kind of get himself down again very high functioning yeah 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 um the scene in the hospital when they start messing with his books we feel this tension this escalation Mm -hmm. this like at the Tarantino line, the rubber band getting ready to snap. Mm-hmm. Is that the closest to like what your experience was with your level of autistic patients where he was like walking out of the room and then just kind of like rocking and then yeah. coming back in and trying to explain it and getting overwhelmed and falling back to the... A lot of the patients I worked with weren't high functioning. Um, it's definitely a different type of... Mm-hmm. Um, situation i feel like whenever the patient can't verbally communicate their needs yeah you dealt with a lot of non-verbal autistic <clears throat> yeah people. so a lot of the kids that i well i worked with adults too i shouldn't just say kids but it was in large part it was kids because you're still in that phase where you're trying to figure out the medication um we're not high functioning weren't able to vocalize their needs so like i do feel like that's still typical though like this upset of like when the need isn't being met Mm -hmm. or the comfort zone is being violated like this like very obvious discomfort and um physical aggression towards either the oneself or to others Mm -hmm. um so like i i don't have a problem with the performance per se but so what you dealt with was largely like the fire alarm sequence where he's just banging his head yeah, off the door like trying the, to run out. Yeah, yeah, like the out. Well, I mean, I worked in a a medical hospital, so the patients that I saw were having medical emergencies. Yeah. Basically, like I didn't work in an inpatient facility, so the people that I saw were probably in a more extreme phase. Sometimes of brought their care. there by the police. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I I saw kind of the height of the need for adjustment and the Mm. care most of the time but like I I just feel like to me it's not even that it's irresponsible to give this idea that every autistic person or every um, person with a disability has some superpower basically for me it's irresponsible for one to act like care is that readily available because it's just not um Mm -hmm. most of the families i dealt with didn't have um a three million dollar trust yeah well didn't have access to private facilities didn't Mm -hmm. um have access to a lot of the care that they needed and you'd play this waiting game in the medical hospital where you could be there for weeks racking up debt hoping to get admitted into a psychiatric facility so you could make adjustments to the care. And My so, favorite bartender back home at the restaurant that we would eat at once a week, he had an infant daughter with autism, and he would work like double, triple shifts at the bar yeah. trying to rack up enough money to get her into very specialized programs. Yeah. And he'd be like, well, she learned, you know, like how to read a very basic book today, and she was able to read it out loud. And like that was a big thing, is mm-hmm. trying to see if she was verbal or nonverbal at this age age where like no child is truly verbal (laughs) you know they don't know how to express themselves anyway and you could see the weight that it put on him to be like well where are we at here because she's not acting you know normally in this regard but she's excelling over here and then like where do i put my energies how much care can we put into somebody when you don't even know how severe it is yeah and the delay in development is common Mm -hmm. um but i i feel like yeah for one it's irresponsible to act like it's that easy to get care because it's not um when you have a severe disorder that 
we we genuinely don't really have the best grasp on. It's yeah. really hard to get care. Well, Raymond would have been put in in the 60s if we follow like kind of yeah. how the story plays out. Yeah. Um, and then also I think it's really irresponsible to act like committing a patient is the end-all be-all solution. I mm-hmm. think a high-functioning autistic person probably realistically would not have been committed. Yeah. Um, and I get the movie is based on the premise of he hurt the baby, so they felt like it wasn't safe anymore. But I, I don't think... I think it almost to some extent vilifies the special needs person. Like, we're kind mm. of left with this wishy-washy sentiment of it's the best place for him, he's getting the best care here, but it's almost like he's lifelong being punished for a incident that happened when he was 18, yep. and now this character is in his 40s or 50s, you know? Um, it's a similar issue that I take with a lot of horror films that go, oh, he's bipolar. And it's like, oh, that's a healthy way to look at the life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, like, the patients that I worked with that were um, not as high-functioning and weren't able to vocalize their needs, I mean, there needed to be more care there. There needed to be more help for the families because you could see that the families were very overwhelmed mm. and didn't know where to turn and were, like, desperate for help. But those patients weren't committed into institutions, and they weren't able to say what they needed or what they wanted. And I just don't think that it's realistic to expect in most situations, I mean, there's an exception for everything, but in most situations, an autistic person who's high-functioning enough to tell you, this is what I want, this is what I need, I just need to be kept on the schedule, would be committed for the rest of their life to a private institution. Yeah, just for regiment. Yeah. When they could have had a responsible adult. You know, he could have gone home after maybe a year at a private facility and been like, well, we've established these regiments. These make Raymond very comfortable. And instead, what we have is basically saying that once you've been committed to a mental facility, you can never leave because any break in that regiment is going to spiral you out. So you have to live here with the ducks. And it's a... I feel you. It's a twofold irresponsibility because it falsely gives this premise of that's the only way to make this situation work. But then it also gives this false premise if you have someone who's not high functioning and they're not doing as well that you can just toss them away. And it's like, that's not typically how that works. Like you have to be a legit danger to be permanently committed. So like someone who's got an autistic kid and they're like, Oh, maybe we'll do that. We'll put them away in a facility. It's like, yeah, if you can afford a private facility, then you can put them somewhere. But if Mm -hmm. you can't afford a private facility, the state's not going to just take your child forever because you're overwhelmed. (laughs) Like it's, it's just not a true depiction of what care for special needs people like actually looks like. Mm -hmm. I wonder how accurate it would have been at the time. He's still in a private facility that probably costs a lot yeah. of money. Well, like how it compares to like the, the complaints that people have about the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and the lobotomy scene. We listened to The Great Depression by Gary Goleman. And he uses that as like the focal point of we don't talk about mental illness because you might wind up like Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But I've been reading a book that I will talk about in a future podcast about the (laughs) mental health care system. And it looks like right around the time that the facilities got shut down, shit was wonky. And it bugs me too, speaking of the depiction in movies. um, And I get if you're making a film, you have to be responsible Mm -hmm. safety-wise. The people that you have on set and the people that you have working and... You brought um, this up last yeah, night. I thought yeah, it was well, a brilliant we observation. Um, I get to some extent you can't realistically cat or cast people that have like severe disorders because they would be upset, they would be uncomfortable, they, they couldn't would be consent issues. to being in the shoe. Yeah, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. be safe. Um, it bugs me anytime we go into, or most of the time when we go into situations where we're in a mental hospital, like. Dustin Hoffman obviously is not special needs, and in the movie Rain Man, um, Cuba Gooding Jr. is not special needs. So like and I Rain Man, or sorry, not Rain Man, um, Radio, Radio. Yeah. Radio. Um, I, I get when you're casting the lead role, it's a lot easier to cast someone who's not special needs because mm-hmm. they can fill these demanding schedules where you're working twelve hours a day, and like I understand that, but then they cast extras 
that you're probably only keeping on set for a couple of hours to kind of just fill the background of what this facility looks like. And most of the time it's kids with Down syndrome. Yeah. And most people who have Down syndrome are not committed. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> like my mom. I have a friend whose daughter is... Yeah, she's and got like, Down syndrome. Lives and she, at home. She's lovely. Goes she, to school. She just wants to give hugs. Like she's yeah, fucking yeah. fantastic. And like people that have Down syndrome typically live normal enough lives mm. that you know, yeah, sometimes they need supervision to kind of help you know handle their medical needs yeah. or pay their finances or whatever. But they're not people that are in institutions. Mm. And like my mom. Uh, and my dad both um, got master's degrees in psychology and a part of their, um, I think they had to do like um, community service-esque mm-hmm. things where you were like working with people like related to your field. Well, just related to your field. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they both volunteered at a, it's like a day facility for mm-hmm. people that have special needs <clears throat> that... Um, like an outpatient. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so people, and I, I think they did cater specifically to people with Down syndrome, but people that had Down syndrome in their families, and th- these weren't just children, they were adults too, like they would get dropped off at this facility for the day, and it was almost like being in like a school or at a job yeah. or whatever, and they would have tasks that they would do, and they yeah. would help do things. Well, and they've they... got brilliant stories that I've read online of people who are like, they open up a car wash, and then like, all of the employees down to like the dude who runs the register. Everybody has Down yeah. syndrome and they all make a livable wage. They yeah. live by themselves at their home, but this place gives them something yeah. to describe and for. I think this was technically like a medical institution. And I guess if we're really going to simplify it, it's basically like a daycare. And mm. I know that sounds a bit insensitive. I don't mean for it to yeah. sound insensitive, but like they were brought there for the day so that. They wouldn't be alone, but I'm pretty sure they earned wages Mm -hmm. and they had like chores and stuff that they did. And it was as close as could be to having a job and living an independent life. And then at the end of the day, they would go back home to their families. And like, like, I feel like even that is a more realistic depiction of what people with Down syndrome live. Like some of them, yeah, they do have to live at home with their parents or their siblings. Some can drive. Yeah. I've read uh, at least two stories of, like, master's degrees. Yeah, and there are Down syndrome people who have gotten married. Like, you can live, like, a pretty normal life. And, yeah, it's frustrating to see those be Mm -hmm. the extras in the background. And it's like, that's not not what mental illness looks like. Like, he's not walking around with a bunch of people who have Down syndrome who are watching soaps all day. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not what that place looks like. (laughs) I agree. She threw... I, I had a gang of topics where I was going to talk about symbolism. I think you picked the the better approach, so thank you very much for it. But um, I guess I'll, I'll I'll bring up one or two of them that I thought were interesting because I I cleaned today. That's like pretty much all I really did. So I had a lot of time to think, and I wanted to approach Rain Man in a, a responsible light um i knew that there were problematic things there were points where we were both like well fuck tom cruise's character which (laughs) it's not tom cruise's fault that's the character he's meant Mm -hmm. to play he nails the character he's meant to play that's why it pisses you off when he like grabs him by the throat at a certain point like puts him against the wall and it's like well that's probably the last thing you need to do with somebody who's got sensory overload problems Mm -hmm. um but the difference in charlie and raymond boils down to this concept that's explained in the movie that Raymond has no idea how the economy works. He has no care for money. Simultaneously, Charlie has no idea how money works and cannot work within this economy. They both use the word definitely. So that's huge. Like they've got these similar quirks, which I think the brilliant writing Um, but what struck me most when I was thinking about the movie was this father figure that we never see, we never get to interact with, we just hear stories. He's dead immediately. And Charlie, again, also does not understand the economy and such, learns that he gets the old car from 1947 and the rose bushes. He can learn perfection by cutting the rose bushes. 
So through the lens of Charlie, we've got this hard-ass businessman who wasn't there for his family, never gave a shit about him as a son, this very angry father figure. And then we switch to the man who has no idea what an inheritance is, literally does not understand what money is. And his recollection of his father is a man who's put him in this place where he finds peaceful, um, who used to let him drive around the driveway. I think it's... Sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm building to a point. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about their respective reactions to the inheritance and what the inheritance means as a symbol and more specifically what the car means as a symbol because we're told that Charlie was only ever allowed to drive the car once and it was because he stole it from his dad Mm -hmm. whereas Raymond almost earned this right to just drive in his happy little circle 25 miles per hour (laughs) he just he earned his you know his dad would come to see him and then he'd get to drive the car around so Raymond had the father-son relationship that Charlie always wanted but almost because of Charlie's selfishness he doesn't get to see this piece of the godhead that is their triangulation well it is pretty much a hundred percent entirely because of Charlie's selfishness because he finally admits at the end of the movie and we gloss over he ran away at 16 and never tried to contact him again no he says his dad tried to contact him and he ignored him oh I missed that yeah whenever he's talking to um I think it's the doctor or someone. He's like, yeah, I was a prick. And he was like, um, he mentions his dad tried to reach out to him a couple of times and he never called him back. And Mm. like, to me, I feel like the inheritance is, I think definitely in an old dying man's sense of humor, it's a little bit of a like, fuck you. But also I think at the (laughs) same time. You wanted the car, keep the car. You hated the roses, they're yours now. (laughs) Well, I I think at the same time, it's also his way of, in his final gesture, showing love because um, Charlie establishes the car and the roses were the thing that his father loved the most. Mm -hmm. So his father leaves the thing that he loves the most to someone who can understand the weight of a gift. Yeah. And then he gives the money to the person who doesn't understand the money, the importance of the gift at all. Mm-hmm. And the money is going to ensure that he has good care for the rest of his life. So in a way, he's giving both of his sons what they need most. He's giving the son who can't appreciate the gift the money to live a fulfilling life. And he's giving the son that didn't appreciate him the thing that he appreciated most in yeah. the world. So, so that he can learn what the importance of life is. The yeah. importance is fixing your 47 Plymouth or whatever that thing is and clipping the rose bushes. It's not the money. Yeah. And you it's know. obviously a car he loved a lot. He had a lot of fond memories with the son that was in his life in that car. So it wasn't just like, oh, his polished, you know, car that he loved. He just wanted like mutual love and respect. And mm-hmm. so he then leaves his son that he didn't have that with the things that he loved most. He's giving them both the tools. That, yeah. I was thinking about the inheritance in the car a lot today. And I was like, what do they represent? Because, like, that is the central piece. Like, without Charlie going into debt with these cars, showing his irresponsibility, we don't get his need for the inheritance. Like, if he would have flipped those four cars, there's no need for him to get the $3 million. He would have made that his goddamn self. But that opportunity is pulled from him. He meets his brother who doesn't give a shit about the money. <laughs> he doesn't understand it. Knows so much more about life that we... And maybe this would have been fixed had it not been for that fucking writer's strike in 88. That would have been the brilliant way to kind of end the movie. Is if he could just have taken Raymond home and they could have waxed the car or cut the rose petals. You know, like take a day trip even and then take him back to the hospital. Have this moment at the end that kind of ties Raymond learned what he needed to learn. Charlie learned what Charlie needed to learn. And now we have this family. Instead of get on the train, I'll see you in two weeks, fade to black. <laughs> and I think it's an odd choice to, um, to have such passing mention of any of their relationships when it's obviously kind of the point of this movie. Like, we basically, in passing, learn... Raymond accidentally burned Charlie, and that's why he got put away. But we don't have a scar on him. 
Yeah. That would have been the move. Yeah. I, or I've just, got this birthmark on my hand. Or, you know. and, but, like, Charlie doesn't even seem to have a reaction to it. Like, he doesn't seem to feel any guilt or, like, concern or, like, shock of his own. Like, oh, like, what happened to me is why he got put away. And then, like, I think we get, like, subtle hints that maybe um, Charlie and his dad probably talked about cars together because... Charlie's constantly talking about cars yeah. as they drive by, so there's kind of this nod to maybe he had a relationship with his dad that involved cars, and again, maybe that's why his dad left him the car, but we don't build it at all. I read that more as a connection to Raymond. Like, his savantness is in cars. So, like, he's able to, like, see a car, tell you what it is, when it's going, what the torque is, how fucking, you know, this, that, the other to thing. To me, if his dad had that much pride in his car, his dad probably, as he was growing up as a child, like, talked to him about cars, mm-hmm. like, when they were out, like... Hold the flashlight. You know what this is? That's a carburetor. Yeah, or even <laughs> if they were, like, out running errands in town, his dad probably, like, had these conversations with him. And, again, I feel like it leads weight to the gift of the car that maybe charlie hasn't learned to appreciate yet so like i feel like we Mm. could have developed like this other stuff a lot more and instead it's just about ferraris and gambling and a rushed ending toothpicks let me see if i've got any i've got a bunch of notes but i don't want to i think we've covered most of it uh one last thing what did you make of, because I still don't quite know how I feel about it, uh, Raymond's use of who's on first, that Charlie explains Raymond's viewing as a riddle instead of a joke. I love that we use it as a timepiece throughout. Anytime Raymond's freaking out, he starts telling himself who's on first. And we get different chunks of the joke from later in the bit, kind of as we get deeper in the movie. And it just kind of reinforces that otherness this there are like maybe three great american jokes where i can say it by name you know what i'm talking about who's on first seven dirty words and fill in the blank on the third one i'm not coming up with it <laughs> like these distinctly american comedy routines that yeah. everybody in the audience especially in 88 would have known that that's in you know about costello I think it's another thing that really desperately needed to be flushed out because I think Charlie's reaction is, again, this really insensitive interpretation that he's too stupid to understand that it's a joke, which Mm -hmm. I think is, again, damaging to the perception of how mental illness works, especially when you're high functioning. I think it's really obvious he doesn't think that it's a riddle. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a comfort mechanism because he... um, mentions his dad showed him the joke and so that's a memory he has with his now dead father and i think for him it's him reaching back into a more comforting time probably a time in the 60s where he would have been sitting on his dad's leg watching the the who's on first sketch and even you know completely different disorder but even people with ocd have repetitive actions because there's a, I mean, like there's a need to mm-hmm. repeat it, but there's also a comfort behind doing it the amount of times that you need to do it. And then you feel like safer. Everything's or, right. Yeah. In the world. yeah. And yeah, I, I think maybe that needed to be fleshed out a bit more so that maybe Charlie eventually realized like he's not repeating it to himself because he's too stupid to realize what it is mm-hmm. like he gets that it's a joke that his dad showed yeah. him he's not trying to figure out the riddle he understands yeah and it, but it's very similar to having like a, a comfort mechanism like mm-hmm. whether it's a blanket or a teddy bear or whatever it's reaching back to a fond memory with his father and it's something that he's familiar with and reciting it like helps him come down from you know whatever he's yeah. feeling so out. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like me watching it, that was obvious to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you watching it, that was obvious to you. But I, I feel like the movie didn't really do justice to Charlie actually learning or growing or getting to know his brother or his brother's needs or his brother's tics or any of that. And yeah, it, it kind of gets written off as like, oh, he, he thinks he it's a riddle. It yeah. yeah, and like that's frustrating because that's not... Mm-hmm. It's a damaging perception. Final question. 
and then I'll let you go get a shower so we can eat this delicious chili that's been cooking for the past eight hours. Did you have thoughts on it? Bar. I feel like I ran away with it. No, no, no. I, 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 I like, I don't know where I sit with it. I like the idea that Raymond would be kind of working through it like a riddle that he can't find the answer to. But I agree that it's a safety blanket. Like he's dragging it around. And I had the same interpretation with this as a symbol of yet another memory that he has with his father that mm-hmm. Charlie does not have, but it didn't get fleshed. So that leads to my final question. I don't know who plays Rain Man. That's not me. Can we remake this movie? Oh. Not us, but is no. this one of those movies where it's like, we could remake it, we could build the movie up a bit more from the ground floor, focus, maybe you'd have to use a lot of flashbacks to really pound those subtleties, like the who's on first, you know, all the way home to, oh, that's why. And maybe you show the dad a time or two and you, you, you flesh out some of these things. Like I, I'm not one for remaking fucking classics you touch the godfather i'll cut your hands off (laughs) i think no because dustin um, hoffman's a motherfucker (laughs) dustin hoffman crushed it and again i don't have misconceptions about the realities of being able to cast certain people Mm -hmm. to play certain roles i don't think realistically you can cast a person who has autism you know, who isn't very highly functioning to play that Unless kind of Unless they're role. an actor who really wants it. Yeah, know? and there are... Sorry, I mean to kick you. Um, there are actors that have Down syndrome that have very successful um, acting careers. So, I mean, to some extent, you can kind of um, authentically fill some of these roles. Some of them you just can't for safety yeah. reasons or comfort reasons. I think we're moving towards trying to have not remotely disabled people play disabled roles basically being blackface though yeah i don't think that it's the way society starts to yeah look at it, i yeah. don't think that culturally we can keep doing movies that aren't very intentional about people when we're having someone who doesn't know that experience mm-hmm. play that role i think you could probably if the script was really good or really impactful or something like still do movies where people are playing those type of roles that don't have those disabilities. But I I think we're moving in an air or in an age where you can't just make that movie to make it anymore. Hmm. It's interesting. I I feel like pitchforks would come. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like if you had a high functioning autistic actor who really wanted to play Rain Man, you know, like let him fucking go for it. My concern would be more, I feel like Dustin Hoffman, his interpretation of the character, I don't feel like he's offensive. No. So it would need to be somebody on par with dustin hoffman to play that role yeah so that you get that same character because unfortunately dustin hoffman has aged 30 some odd years since that film (laughs) so we can't just drop 1988 dustin hoffman into 2021 and be like here's the new rain man yeah but i like i don't know like there was a time where these type of movies were kind of popular like rain man and radio and forrest gump I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't all come out at the same time, but I feel like within reasonable distance of each other. When they when they felt progressive. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I feel like if you tried to do, like, Forrest Gump or any of that now, people would be like, this is a bad depiction of a disorder, and this person's being taken advantage of. I think if you, like, stood in a room and tried to pitch the script, people would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> 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 so I, I just feel like, I don't know, like, those type of movies have had their moment, and maybe eventually they'll come back around, but I think unless you cast a person who, to some extent, has experience with that disorder, um, yeah. people are going to think you're being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts, love? really (laughs) all right let's go make some chili i hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we will talk to you next week